Now I feel like I should be recording. Oh. Go on. <laughs> well, was, I was six years old. It was like... Uh, Trick or Die. Yeah, That's a great title. I wanted to make a horror movie, so we got some of the neighborhood kids and me, and it was about me being attacked by ghouls. Sure. Where they were just like teenagers with uh, face paint on. And then uh, <laughs> I kicked one of them in the ear, and that was the end of the movie because he started crying. <laughs> um, but if you watch the movie, all whatever, five minutes of it, you can hear my brother crying. Yeah. And like yelling during it because he's like clutching onto my mom who's holding the camera <laughs> and like screaming all these things, uh, totally breaking the fourth wall because he thought it was real. So <laughs> kids are stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we could, I could get that tape when I'm back home and play the audio for it. <laughs> Starting right now, Andy. I well, I'm trying to think of like a a cool pun, you know, because we've got look, <laughs> we've got class deceased for when the when we're done, which is class deceased is pretty great, which is just you know, yeah, I just uh, it's beautiful. I can't think of one for when we start, you know, classes in yeah. I, I mean, you could say classes in session, but there's not a thing you can really yeah. Classes in traction. No, that's. <laughs> That's like, really work. You know, sometimes <laughs> that's those, all of our podcasts. Sometimes in those EC comics, you know, you read the you read the EC comics. You can tell when they're stretching for a pun. You can tell when they're reaching for it. Oh yeah, you know, they're like a case. It was a he. <laughs> I got nothing right now. <laughs> but like they'll try to think of something for burglary, and they're like vulgarity or whatever, and it's just it doesn't work. It's not scary enough. We certainly don't want to be that. No. So I should have thought, this is yet another thing I should have come up with by now. What else do they say when class is in session? Is there another term? I mean, is it... Take your seats. It's time for the heads will roll call. (laughs) (laughs) Heads will roll call. (laughs) Take your seats would be, I mean, look, I'm not moving forward until we we have a thing for that. We have, yeah, we have to, we have to think of something. The oh man, <laughs> troll call is good. <laughs> All right, we're going with troll call for now. <laughs> troll call, troll call, everybody. Uh, Andy Sell here. Adam Todd Brown here. We, not everything can be a spooky pun. Uh, hi, Adam. Hey, Andy. How's it going? Pretty good. I'm excited about this. I'm really excited about this. Uh, this is the first episode of Ghoul School. Uh, I am Andy Sell. I'm Adam Todd Brown. I don't know. I don't know where the kids are getting their podcasts these days. I don't know either. I remember when I, I was just in- put them on iTunes and hope for the best. <laughs> when I was a kid, we had to find our podcasts in the woods. <laughs> exactly. We had to listen to them scrambled. <laughs> well, this is the first episode of Ghoul School. We, I, I feel like I might have bitten off a little more than I can chew with our first subject. It's it's a broad one. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, and of course you are, because this is the first episode. So Ghoul School is a horror movie podcast that is sort of going to we're going to explore different 
horror topics, different horror film genre topics, subjects, subgenres, themes, filmmakers, talent involved with them, and each month we'll showcase a different one and dedicate episodes to that topic, exploring it, and each one will feature a film. Yep. Specific film representative of the topic or a personality interview. Yeah, we're going to try and get some interviews lined up. We're going to do some things. We're going to do a lot. You're going to learn some things about horror movies. Yes. We have chosen the topic of found footage horror. And that... Yeah, it's it's easy to forget how, just how many found footage movies there, there have been since... Just since the, the past 15, 16 yeah. years. And in a relatively... I mean, yeah, 15, 16 years. And it's like a short amount of time yeah, yeah. to get into this. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a weird thing where a lot of people are kind of already over it but mm-hmm. it's still so new mm-hmm. like there's still so much more people could do with it well, i imagine there there often is that thing where where something new comes along and the purists kind of poo-poo it kind of treat it with some scorn and derision like um, rap music for example yeah or i mean even in the horror community you know when slasher movies right came around there was there was a lot of people being like well i like my horror elegant and classy <laughs> not all this blood and gore blah. yeah you know i mean even the the new school i guess the american new wave of horror some would call it that ran from like the late 60s uh, up until the early 80s of filmmakers like carpenter romero hooper craven yeah those guys when that stuff started coming along it was like well horror should be the haunting and only the haunting and you know the, the remakes get it j horror got it and now it's the found footage happens to be the thing that everybody is is treating like it's an affront to our our classic sensibilities, right? And that's that sucks. It does because there's a lot of really great yeah, found footage. There is, but, but because of that scorn, there's not a lot of scholarly work on it. For this podcast, I'm doing a lot of research, and I'm. It's like reality shows. The the exact same thing. There's not a lot of really well thought out. Mm-hmm. Like you you find like gossip, spoilers, like recaps, things like that about reality shows. Yeah. But if you really dug into the history of reality TV, it's actually kind of interesting. Yeah. But there's just not a lot. It's not the kind of thing people think of as n- deserving of that much mm-hmm. research. For both reality television and for found footage horror film, I think that they kind of both come from similar places. I think people see both of them as kind of a shortcut. Yeah. Or like a cheap well path to accomplishing something. Exactly. That- the roots are in, are very much in amateur artistic endeavors and sort of this democratization of of the access to the tools to to make these things. It's sort of the way bloggers get treated maybe. Oh yeah. <laughs> Where for it's sure. like, oh you're not a real journalist. You just write on a website. Like, yeah. It's you're not a real filmmaker. You just run around the woods with a with a camcorder. Right. Anytime you kind of remove a thing from the seat of power that holds it, you know, you you kind of break down the hierarchy and the uh, the elitism of something a little bit, you're going to get this kind of scorned derision. And look, yeah. there is some trash out there. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. There is some garbage. Um, some really bad found footage movies. There really are. But... And Apollo 18 is not one of them, but that's a topic okay. for We're, another day. I told you not to... <laughs> Not to do that. Anybody looking to host a podcast? <laughs> you can do a lot with it. And because of that, and because it's relatively new, and because of this weird attitude, there's not a lot of scholarly work on it. So research is difficult. Yeah. Also, <laughs> I have this thing with research where I tend to go down some rabbit holes. Uh, I will follow some threads down. I was telling you earlier, it's like I'm Ant-Man, and I get smaller and smaller and smaller yeah. with my focus until I'm... At, 
at risk of getting lost in the subatomic world. <laughs> uh, and then I kind of every now and then snap myself out of out of a particular thread and look at the big picture, and it overwhelms me, and I shut down and have to play <laughs> Overwatch for a few minutes. Um, that's kind of that's kind of where I am with this, and also. Found footage, for all those reasons and this reason, <laughs> it's difficult to research. It's not just a subgenre. It's not just a theme. It's yeah. not just a collection of subjects. It is its own format. Right. And, and it's it, not just a horror format. There's no, a lot of really yeah, great exactly. found footage movies that yeah. just aren't uh, horror related at all. Yeah, there are found footage horror, uh, sorry, science fiction, found footage yeah. action movies, found footage dramas. There's, there's a really great one called Snow on the Bluff, which is about a, a drug dealer in, I think, in Atlanta. And it's just him documenting his day. Oh, wow. And it's amazing. Yeah. Awesome. I will at Check some point out. see that. Yeah. <laughs> And for future subjects, you know, I feel like I'll do be I'll be doing more book reading, more article reading, more of that things of that nature for research. But there's not a lot of that for this, so it was a whole lot of Google, right. whole lot of Wikipedia, some podcast listening, and here we are. We're gonna I'm gonna try to make sense of this for this first episode. We're gonna be covering kind of the history of found footage, basically before it was found footage, right? Leading up to basically the Blair Witch Project, which was a game changer. Uh, sure was. Yeah, <laughs> that was a big movie. Uh, that is not the film we're going to focus on in this episode. <laughs> yeah, because it's technically... I mean, it's not the first, no, obviously. it's not the first. Um, and there's some disagreements uh, about what the first is and about what even qualifies as found footage. Right. Uh, which is another thing that uh, made the uh, research uh, component a little difficult because it's you get into these arguments about minutia and, and traits and characteristics and what technically is a found footage film. I'm going to go... We'll, we'll, so we'll start by talking about what is found footage. According to Wikipedia, found footage is a fictional film subgenre in which all or a substantial part of the work is presented as if it were discovered film or video recordings. The events on screen are typically seen through the camera of one or more of the characters involved, often accompanied by their real-time off-camera commentary. That's Wikipedia. That's pretty broad. Yeah, it's broad, but it's pretty um, accurate. It's pretty accurate. Uh, in fact, I would say it's a little more specific than the website Found Footage Critic. There's a handful of websites devoted to found footage film reviews and academia, I guess. Yeah. Foundfootagecritic.com is the one that I found that kind of has the most to offer. Sort of takes it really seriously. <laughs> they yeah. Have a, they have a podcast. Uh, one, one of the people behind this website has a found, uh, podcast called The Found Footage Files that's uh, is very good. They kind of break it down without giving it a very specific definition. They talk about, you know, certain elements of found footage. And, well, I mean, they break it down to subgenres within the subgenre. First-person perspective style, mockumentary, a.k.a. pseudo-documentary style, and um, we'll get into that as well. Uh, news footage style, surveillance footage style. Style, or I guess are the four main styles of it. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, there's some characteristics for diegetic versus non-diegetic music and sound, inclusion of editing techniques. Sometimes we'll take a found footage movie and make it into a pseudo-documentary, which they right. still consider found footage. So it's a lot. Now, the, the term found footage originally was used to classify a method of appropriation of existing film for artistic purposes. It was born in the artistic movements inspired by Picasso's found object work, which was first exemplified in his 1912 piece, Still Life with Chair Caning, which he p pasted a printed image of a chair caning onto a painting. Sounds pretty mundane and simple by our standards, but was pretty revolutionary. <laughs> 
yeah, at the time. Yeah, I can imagine. And then uh, folks like uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, I guess, Dadaists and Surrealists, including Marcel Duchamp, who I have the same birthday as, by the way. Very nice. Uh, took this idea and ran with it, and he began a series of what's known as ready-mades. If you've heard of the ready-mades, it's basically just standard, right. unaltered objects presented in an artistic fashion. His most famous one probably being a uh, fountain, which is just a urinal turned on its side. That was in 1917. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so this stuff, I mean... Imagine being that guy in 1917 right? who's like, no, you don't understand. I've got it. This is what art is. <laughs> and people go... Yeah. People are like, well, I guess. I, yeah, I guess so. Sure. Russia's, <laughs> Russia's whatever's going on over there. There's fucking war everywhere. Why not? <laughs> Our, my cousin came home yesterday missing half his face. <laughs> and now, eventually, this kind of using found objects as art sort of became incorporated into documentary filmmaking. You see that with Ken Burns. More recently, folks like Adam Curtis, who made this great documentary called Hypernormalization. He does these really long political social commentary docs that, uh-huh. that like connect really disparate things. It's very fascinating. Then you have mockumentaries and pseudo docs like or and Wells's F for Fake, and then artistic collage films, which were experimental and avant-garde through filmmakers like Bruce Conner, Chick Strand, Martin Arnold, Craig Baldwin. So that's kind of where the term found footage came from. Sure. It does not in any way address what we're talking about today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, think, I think people have come to associate found footage more with the techniques in the movies than just what it like it's most yeah. basic thing it's just what it sounds like we found this tape in the fucking woods yeah and made a movie out of it mm-hmm. it wasn't intended to be a movie now it's a movie yeah this was delivered to the police anonymously or right whatever. so yeah we're talking about found foot exactly as a as a genre of horror and it's gosh again i this is there's a lot there sure is. Uh, I could not find defi- a definitive answer on when the first time the term found footage was used to describe this kind of a film. I would imagine it was Blair Witch Project. Can't say for sure. Yeah, that's definitely the first place I heard it. Uh, yeah. Unlike other genres or subgenres, it's not defined by tropes or themes solely, but by technique and format. It is considered a subgenre or even a genre unto itself. I don't know if I would because it's all about the presentation. The only thematic requirement is an implication that the footage was discovered by a third party after filming. Now, this is that's basically, right. that's how I look at it. That's the Wikipedia definition. Yeah, there's always going to be, at the beginning of pretty much any found footage movie, that initial that, screen yeah, that, of text yeah, that, that tells you or the text crawl, where yeah. this was found. Yeah. Now, I think, I guess if you want to examine found footage's place in the horror genre, you have to trace its lineage. Now, to trace its lineage, we have to come at it from a few different angles. To know how it became a part of horror storytelling, we have to look at how the format came to be used as a storytelling tool in general. We have to mark technological advancements and social events and things like that, uh, cultural trends. However, in order to see why horror and found footage were such a natural fit, we also have to look at examples in horror that predate found footage to see, you know, kind of yeah. how the two came together. I think the, the easiest way to do that is just a simple statement that I'll say. <laughs> horror film has long been linked to the oral tradition of expressing morals or providing cautionary messages through scary stories. Duh. This is not yeah. a new idea. You watch any documentary about horror films or listen to any podcast about horror films or read any book about horror films and someone will mention yeah it's you know german folk tales or right you know old old village folk tales that uh, a parent would tell a child to keep their kids out of the woods 
Because right. there's a scary monster out there, and really, it's just to serve the purpose of keeping them home and keeping them safe. Basically, the monster becomes a metaphor for just the dangers of the world at large. To me, found footage is interesting because it's sort of like you tell the kid that story. You know, ah, there's a, there's a monster out in the woods every night. Eventually, that kid gets old enough to go, I don't believe you. Right. That's bullshit. And the parent says, oh, no, it's real. I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. To me, the found footage genre is basically horror saying to the world, oh, no, it's real. I've seen it. Right. Here it is. Yeah. I think that found footage in a lot of ways is sort of the purest continuation of that oral tradition, of that of the campfire story, of the, the implication that this thing is real. I mean, it's magical realism. You know, you take, right. a, you take a weird thing, you put it in a, in a, in a, in a scenario that feels real to you, and it, it heightens that, that effect. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. The non-film roots of found footage are fucking legion, man. Uh, <laughs> as I said, we have you know things like folklore, oral tradition, campfire fire stories. Beyond that, you have the old good-natured pranks people used to play on each other. Snipe hunts. Did you ever go on a snipe hunt when you were a kid? No. Do you know what a snipe hunt is? I do not. I don't know. I, I did a lot of going down rabbit holes. I did not go down the snipe hunt rabbit hole. <laughs> but I did have a babysitter. My mom used to let take care of us when she was out of town. And one night, like around midnight, she wakes us up and she's like, oh, the snipes are out. The snipes are out. You want to go on a hunt? And we're, you know, my brother and I are half awake. So she gets these uh, little animal nose mask things that we've gotten from some fast food place in a Happy Meal or something. Yeah. Puts those on us, puts makeup on us, gives us pillowcases, and then sends us out into the backyard to hunt snipes. <laughs> uh, snipes are not real. I, I mean, right. that's the idea. They're this mythical creature. I mean, maybe there is an actual creature called what a snipe. What if she was I'm really seeing snipes? Well, then I question my mother's judgment <laughs> for letting her take care of us. <laughs> But she had a good laugh. I mean, there's stuff like that. A little more serious than that, There's, it's undeniable, and I don't want to get too much into this aspect of it. You cannot separate found footage, the found footage tradition and, and its roots from hoaxes. Sure. Even, even the films that we, you know, Blair Witch Project, Cannibal Holocaust, the films that we recognize as sort of the proto-found footage movies, there's a lot of the, the hoax element in there. Right. Uh, and I don't want to get too much into it because I do want to do an episode on Ghost Watch at some point, and I want to save all Ghost this stuff Watch for is Ghost. Amazing. Ghost Watch is so. I just rewatched it yesterday. Yeah, it's, it's so good. It's so incredible. So I want to do a full episode because I know that there are people going that are going to say it's not found footage. I would defend that it is found footage. Yeah, I would call it's as much found footage as is it W. NF WNUF WNUF uh, Halloween special. There are people that would argue that the idea of the format is different since Ghost Watch was broadcast live when it was yeah. first broadcast, and WNUF is on that videotape, and there's an implication that it's from 1987. I would say though that that Ghost Watch is a found footage film where you're finding the footage as you watch it. Yeah, you know, like I, I, that might be too. Ghost Watch was for the BBC people. trying to terrify all of England, and they. Fucking did. Boy, did they. Yeah. Uh, so I would love to do a, a full episode on Ghost Watch. Yeah. And I'll go more into the hoax stuff there. But the first hoax that I could find, the first, the earliest recorded example of a hoax is the drummer of Ted Worth in 1661, and it was a poltergeist manifestation hoax. Huh. So even the first recorded hoax 
was horror. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I think that that you know that speaks to it too. And then of course you have the Fox Sisters, the Cardiff Giant, the Cottingley Fairies, bigger hoaxes like War yeah. of the Worlds. Yeah, there was uh, that really fame. I don't remember if they were a couple, but they would take these pictures of them performing seances oh. and things, and it would like look like there was like cotton shooting out of a girl's mouth, and it was all oh, yeah. like they managed to fake all of it. Yeah, there's a lot of yeah. of these. Ho- I mean, it seems if you look at the history of hoaxes, it's really just like oh, people were bored and we didn't have video cameras yet. So this yeah. is what we did, you know, and they are precursors spiritually, at least. Oh, to sure. Found footage films, but within the horror genre, still in horror storytelling, you also had a more concrete, I think, progenitor of the found footage genre, which is epistolary novels. Epistolary meaning read in letters or presented in letters. Right. This is Dracula. This is Frankenstein. This is to a degree Call of Cthulhu by H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. Epistolary literature. Salem's Lot. Salem's Lot. I believe I haven't read Carrie, but I've seen Carrie included as an epistolary novel because it it does include, I guess, newspaper headlines, oh, um, okay. news stories, uh, maybe high school yearbook photos, something oh, like that. Yeah. I, again, I haven't read it, so I can't speak to it, but I've seen it included in yeah. these lists. And that's, again, that's just telling a horror story through these third-party found documents Yeah, to say, here, here's what it is. I mean, Dracula, if you read Dracula... It is a pseudo documentary. It's there's oh, not sure. a single. All the narrative is presented through diaries, journals, newspaper stories, yeah, uh, letters. It's it's all it's it's all to give it a heightened reality, a heightened sense of of reality of taking place in the world in which we live. It's a pseudo documentary of a novel, and that of course, <laughs> when right. people start making horror movies, that's what they're going to do. Yeah. I'm surprised it took as long as it did. Yeah, it did take a really long time yeah. for found footage to become a thing in horror movies. And yeah. it seems like such a no-brainer now. It really does. And I think, you know, it's interesting, especially when you consider sort of the the history of film itself. Yeah. It is kind of surprising that it took this long. I mean, since since we're talking about it, we might as well segue right into it. Film was born to present actualities, sure. which were basically documentaries without a thesis, without a without a point to them. It was just these street scenes or things, and sometimes they were staged. I mean, Thomas Edison wanted to shoot the ex- the execution of Leon Sholgosh, uh, who was McKinley's assassin. They wouldn't let him into the prison to shoot it, so he shot outside the prison so you have this footage of the actual prison right and then recreated the execution execution in a soundstage and filmed it yeah and he didn't present it as if like oh this is the real thing but it's close enough back then i mean so it even that kind of has this you know dramatic reenactment pseudo documentary sort of quality to it sure there was the Lumiere brothers and their their train film (laughs) yeah in 18 what uh 96 i want to say yeah which is just a train coming, right? I mean, it's like they accidentally discovered found footage horror. Right. But as the history of film kind of developed, this idea of reality and augmenting reality sort of, for narrative purposes, sort of went hand in hand. Even Edison's Great Train Robbery was presented less as a, you know, thrilling action adventure and more of a, more as a, hey, don't go too far west because these fuckers are out there. I mean, it was only yeah. 10 or so years after the actual robbery that the movie is based on. 
even the the earliest days of film, you have you know people making documentaries. You have the development of Kino Pravda by Giga Vertov and his film Man with a Movie Camera. You have city films like Berlin, Symphony of a Great City uh, from 1929. These ideas of just filming things, augmenting it a little bit, not really to tell a story, but to create a mood or or a reaction in people. The first documentary, well, the first commercially successful documentary was in 1922. That's Robert Flaherty's Nanak of the North, which also is the first ethnographic film, which would later go on to influence the Mondo films, which would in turn influence found footage horror. Right. Now, you could talk about the ethics. I'm not going to give a whole spiel about the evolution of documentary film other than to point these things out. I could get into the ethics of Nanak of the North. <laughs> I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to. Look, this is not You Must Remember This. That's a great podcast. I don't have the energy to do something like that. <laughs> it was... So people... There was... Even while these things were being made uh, and while documentary and the cinema verite style and observational cinema were sort of evolving with the evolution of film... It was still in the hands of artists, of of people who were trusted to tell these stories or to make these these pieces until the Burt Akers consumer level camera came out in 1898. So there were consumer level cameras even then, but the problem is is that you know nitrate film, yeah, <laughs> and even beyond after nitrate film, like film was tough to store, it was dangerous to store, right? And people couldn't afford it. Until 1923, when Eastman Kodak uh, introduced 16-millimeter safety film so that consumers could actually have these things. And again, it was still expensive, so it was mostly still rich people that had this stuff. Until about World War II, after World War II, when you have the suburbs, you have the nuclear family, you have the return to a normal American middle-class existence. Uh, Everyone wanted to forget about the war which meant documenting their mundane lives. Yeah. And, uh, and that's really when the idea of home movies took off and when families started investing in, in their own home movie-making equipment. It was mostly, again, just to document birthdays, family yeah. reunions. And I am surprised that this isn't the point where we start seeing like actual found footage movies. You would Because think... you would think once it gets portable enough and accessible enough, someone would have had the idea. You and, would... it, and it really... It really didn't. It takes a long because time. Because we already... I mean, you would think that this would be the point because we still already had, you know, all of these other examples of... of you know, hoaxes, urban legends, epistolary horror novels, you know, all of these things that you would think somebody's going to do something here. You yeah. Know? And you you didn't. Film itself evolved as a result. In in Italy, you had the Italian neorealism movement, which began in 1943. Vittorio De Sica being the most famous filmmaker of that movement with Umberto D and Bicycle Thieves. There was also Jean Renoir doing some realism things and Satyajit Ray with his Apu trilogy. And these films kind of, you know, were also a, a post-war response but not in the same way of Americans making home movies. These were films that showcased the sort of the torture of a, of a working class existence. Right. And they, they heavily featured uh, quotidian of daily activities, of the mundane, of sort of the daily slog in a less celebratory sense than American consumer home movies did. Somewhere in the middle here, <laughs> you have what I call backyard movies, amateur films. Yeah, um, I don't think I'm familiar with any of these that you have listed here. So this, we're going to do at some point an entire month on these because I love backyard movies. Forey Ackerman 
this also is kind of charts the evolution of horror fandom to create these kind of things. Because Forrest, sure. Forrest J. Ackerman, who ran Famous Monsters of Filmland, you know, would let people advertise and, and have these letter writings. And it sort of cobbled together a community around horror fandom. Well, genre fandom, science fiction included. And you had Don Glute, who from 1953 to 1969 made 41 movies. Jeez. Uh, and they were all like Spider-Man and, <laughs> and like these little kind of like piece- piecemeal like horror and, and comic booky things in his backyard with friends. That's the kind of thing that was going on when horror fans got a hold of this home movie equipment. They started making these sort of things. You had, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Equinox. I don't think so. Well, Equinox was another one of these movies from 1970. I believe it was shot before then, but it was released in 70 when uh, producer Jack Harris got a hold of it, paid them to add some stuff. And, and even it's interesting because then there's there's a lot of these moments in history where this kind of thing happens. Like you get the spookies later on and an evil dead to some extent. Sorry, I'm, I'm going down another <laughs> rabbit hole here. But this was in 1970. Equinox is, is great as a historical document because the people that went on to make it, that made it, went on to found ILM, Dennis Murin. Oh, um, wow. Jim Danforth. Dave Allen, these these people that went on to kind of be amazing figures in genre filmmaking. So this kind of, this stuff was happening to you. Did have people sort of doing horror filmmaking, but still not quite embracing it with you know or merging it with the idea of reality. Right. I think that what caused that was in 1963 when a man named Did, Abraham what happened Zapruder, in, Yeah, what happened in 63? I don't remember. Anything. Let me throw some other words at you. Dallas. Oh. J.R. Ewing, right? Yeah, yeah. who shot no. Jr. <laughs> I thought that was the 80s, but yeah, I, now that you think about it, you're right. The Zapruder footage. I think we talked about this earlier, too. The Hindenburg played a role. Footage of, of uh, in Alabama of civil rights, of civil rights marches being attacked by police. Violent news footage. V- footage of tragedies. The Zapruder footage, I think, is special, though, because it was just a regular... It wasn't... He wasn't part of a news crew. He wasn't part... He was just out there with a camera. And there were other people filming this parade, the parade that Kennedy was shot in as well. But this is the footage that became famous. Now, it didn't get shown. You had Dan Rather, I believe, the night of, describing the footage, or very shortly after describing the footage on air. But you wouldn't see the footage until... Yeah, it took... um, uh... 75. 75, yeah. yeah. 70, well, it, the first broadcast of it was on a late night show called Under, Underground News in 1970, but it was 75 when Goodnight America presented it with Geraldo Rivera. <laughs> but hey, Dick Gregory was there, so that's great. It balances um, out. Yeah. So I, I, that, was, that footage is a thing you saw of a horrible event that was real. Right. The Challenger was... The Challenger was 86... 86 yeah yeah but that that was live that was everyone seeing it Mm -hmm. happen in person yeah and we'll get into 9-11 a little bit more (laughs) further down the road on this podcast yeah we will i believe that 9-11 played a big part in the found footage boom as well um yeah i can see that so these these things are all going on you also have the patterson i don't want to downplay this the patterson gimlin footage from 1967, which is the famous Bigfoot Oh, film, yeah. Which, whether hoax or not, you can't deny everyone saw that film. Everyone has seen it. Like, you can see it, it in your head right now. Yeah, yeah. It's the most famous image of Bigfoot. Right. And it's it's found footage. 
You yeah. know, that's the idea of it. So these are these are things that I all be- that I believe influenced it, but it still hasn't happened yet. Right. You know, we're we're in the 1970s now, and it still hasn't happened, which is insane. It is insane. It is insane because you have these things, these technological advancements, putting these tools in the hands of amateur filmmakers who don't have expertise or experience or money. You you have the horror genre kind of evolving right alongside in tandem, but just nobody has really put it together yet. Right. You have the Mondo films, which were influenced by ethnographic documentaries. Arguably, the first one is in 1959 called European Nights, but where it got its name is from the film Mondo Kane. Um, I know I'm not pronouncing that in the uh, correct Italian. It means, you know, dog of the world or international dog. Yeah. This was 1962, and then the Mondo films are shockumentaries. They're exploitative, ethnographic films, usually not entirely documentarian, you know, right. ethically speaking. You know, they were, they were exploitation. They were drugs and sex and violence. Yeah. But it wasn't until 1980 that somebody would actually take that and marry it to the idea of found footage. Ruggiero Diodato's Cannibal Holocaust. Right. Which presented the found footage in the context, the framework of a documentary, which is acceptable by the criteria we've we've talked about. But even then, there's a big gap between that one and people going, oh, yeah, that's a thing we can also do. Yeah, there is a big gap. Now, people still started doing ethnographic films, shockumentaries. You had Faces of Death as well. Faces of Death tricked me so bad as a kid. I don't know where I would put that in the found footage spectrum. Yeah, some of it's just clearly... Stage yeah, I believe footage. there's only like two yeah. actual... I remember the first time I watched it as a kid, I was just like, oh, this is the craziest thing yeah. I've ever seen. And then the second time I watched it, probably closer to my teens, I was like, they're getting some really good camera angles in that <laughs> surveillance room. What's going on? Yeah. Well, hey, that's a dead giveaway. You know, it's it's interesting. We'll get into that a little bit more later, too. But it's interesting to me how, like, in regular filmmaking, the very things that are used to suspend your disbelief in, like, a regular format narrative film actually undermines that that goal when you're watching found footage. Yeah. If it's too, if it looks too good, you don't believe it. Right. You have to kind of see the seams. So, Cannibal Holocaust, 1980. I I don't want to talk too much about Cannibal Holocaust because whether or not it was the first proper found footage film or pseudo documentary with a found footage component, there's a million podcasts about Cannibal Holocaust. There's, sure there's are. books on it. There's articles on it. You know, the, most famous for the animal torture scenes and the fact, the myth. I don't know if it's true that Ruggiero Diodato was taken to trial for murder and had to produce one of his actors in the flesh to say, look, I didn't kill anybody. Yeah. Uh, There is that story. I don't know how true it is. Uh, It's one of those myths that just kind of makes the whole thing more fun. By Diodato's uh, own uh, accounts, he was influenced by graphic news footage of of the the Red Brigade attacks in Italy. So there is a marriage. You can see the influence into found footage there. He was fine. The movie was banned. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to be—I'm not going to claim to be an expert on the Italian legal system, but the story doesn't wash for me that he was yeah. taken to it, that he was actually arrested and then on trial and then produced one of his actors. Like, yeah, it seems like you could have just phoned up that actor at the police station. 
Yeah. It, yeah. Right. Like, hey, <laughs> doesn't come it, down here and sort this out it, for it, me. It quick. doesn't add up. Um, <laughs> he was fined for animal cruelty and the film was banned for three years in its native country. It was banned. It has been banned in 40 countries uh, overall, including the UK until 2001. Again, it's a very controversial film. There's a lot about it. I remember the first time I saw it was at a midnight screening. I walked out of it. Couldn't handle the animal stuff. Actually, yeah. it was the rape scene that I walked out of. It was that was when it's I was It's a brutal like, movie. Done. Yeah. It's notorious. I don't have a lot to say about it other than it sort of got the ball rolling here. Right. And even after that, honestly, it would be a while before we would have the next example. Yeah. Which is what I consider to be the first like purely found footage film. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which which we've come to as our feature for this episode is UFO abduction. Right, 1989. 1989, baby. So predates the... Bl- and even then, there's, there's this, there's and then the Blair Witch is yeah. another 10 years. Yeah. That's insane. You had, you had Ghost Watch in 92... Well, yeah. And you had the remake of this in 98. And was the last last broadcast broadcast. right before Blair Witch? Yeah, it was also 98. Although, you know, people do like to say, well, Blair Witch ripped off last broadcast, or Blair Witch was influenced by UFO abduction, or whatever. Blair Witch, from what I understand, they'd started developing it in 93. So it took a while for them. So. They, you know, they might not have been influenced by these other things. Um, yeah. I, I've not heard anything about whether or not Eduardo Sanchez and Daniel Merrick have even seen UFO abduction. But I want to talk about UFO abduction. Let's talk about it. Because I- the whole thing for me to do this podcast is I like to find the things that nobody knows about and say, holy shit, look at this. Yeah. UFO abduction, I watched it for, this is the first time I'd seen it today. I don't know how it wouldn't be considered the first actual found footage movie. Right. They stick yeah. very, very close <laughs> to the, this is just a dude walking around carrying a camera, and you're seeing everything that's happening. Yeah. And what kind of, I think, influenced its making, we kind of, I, I kind of glazed over this, the, the advancement, the further advancement of the technology in the late 70s with, uh, well, the mid-70s with Betamax and VHS, the cameras and the separate portable VCRs that were initially yeah. used for news cameras. But then they started making consumer ends of those in the 80s. Uh, Sony put them out. Panasonic put them out. And even in 86, when these things were happening, you know, it's like these films, are, these, these the equipment's out there. Right. Why does it take why does it take so long to make one? But in 1989, Dean Alioto made it with UFO abduction, the McPherson tape. The McPherson tape. There's a whole lot to parse out there too because the the family in people refer to the UF, UFO abduction as the McPherson tape often. Right. The family in in UFO abduction is not called the McPhersons. They're called Yeah, how did it come to be called the McPherson. So in the tape. remake, the family is called the McPhersons. And from what I understand, that's the first time that the Weird. film, it, uh, that, that that name was used in this, I guess, series. I, I don't know if someone just started calling it the McPherson tape before. Yeah. And then they, and then Dean Aliotto just said, well, they're calling it the McPherson tape, so let's name this family the McPhersons. I don't know. Yeah, but that's weird. It's the, the history of this movie is very strange. It's pretty fascinating. And uh, people can watch it on YouTube, yeah, by it, the way. It is available on YouTube. Uh, since the title is UFO Abduction, you got to kind of sort through some stuff. It, the, the version on YouTube is weird in that it ends. It ends and, and then restarts. Then it restarts. Yeah. I don't know if they did that to avoid being having it deleted or oh yeah it could be getting a cease and desist or not for good or ill. it's a very short movie it's it is it's, under an hour 
It's very short. Van Hees. The Van Heeses is the family. Well, I like the Ring of McPherson better, too. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is a better name. Yeah. Van Hees, come on. That's too much. It's too much. The Get Van Hees tapes? No. Get out of here. I'm not calling it that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Change your name. <laughs> so what happened was in, in 1989, and I, I believe the the, ger- the seed for this was planted in more probably 88, Dean Aliotto filmmaker was 25 he was about to turn 25 and he you know his heroes were orson wells and spielberg and people like that and he he had just he had dropped out of two film schools and he wanted to make his first film by the age of 25 like his heroes did yeah and it was very important to him problem is he dropped out of two film schools and didn't have a lot of money so he convinced a friend to throw in sixty five hundred dollars Literally, that's the budget of this movie. Yeah. $6,500. And he decided that wasn't enough to shoot it on film, but hey, we got home video. Right. So he came up with this movie. He was What happened was, apparently, he was flying home to San Francisco, where he's from, and he was flying back to San Francisco, and he was looking out the plane window, and he imagined, as the plane was rising up, that he was being abducted by aliens and was seeing the Earth for the last time. Oh, wow. Uh, and... That kind of basically became his idea for this film. And he decided he he wanted to do War of the Worlds with home video. He liked the uh, idea of Ten Little Indians, of seeing these people sort of falling prey one by one in real time. Yeah. All that, like his obsession with Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Whitley Stryber's Communion, all kind of came together for him to to form this idea, to develop this film. He got improv actors. He didn't have any aspirations beyond getting enough money to do a second movie. Now, I got a lot of this information from him himself by listening to the Found Footage Files episode where they did an interview with him because there's not a lot of information on this film online. Yeah. And a lot of it is conflicting. So what happened to him was that he... He was embarrassed by the found footage angle. To him, it was just a gimmick. It was just a way to make it for for cheap. He didn't really... Wow. But for being embarrassed by it, he really did make it work. Yeah, he definitely did. He did a lot of things to kind of control the environment. I mean, he himself filmed it so that he could direct from behind the camera. Yeah. A lot of these things that are tropes now in found footage for narrative reasons, power going out and light the right. camera becoming a light source. Or setting the camera down and not turning it down, off. Not turning it off, um, having a reason for filming. These, right. are, these are all narrative devices in found footage now. But for him, they weren't just a narrative device. It was just practicality. It was he yeah. has to have these things in the narrative to make this movie the way he wants to. And it goes, it, it, it almost goes too much in the reality angle because he's really doing a great job of capturing what videos that people shot back then were like. It was like people were just so fascinated with having a video mm-hmm. camera. Like there's a scene at the beginning where he, this guy is just scrolling back and forth over his food. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like when you're watching it now, you're like, why Why is this scene here? But, but it's like time, that's what those videos were. Exactly. And also, the film is uh, supposed to take place in 83. Right. So this is like around the very first right. video cameras, when portable would handheld just video cameras. When people walk around their house and film everything. Yeah, yeah you would yeah. film everything. It, yeah. was, it was such a new thing. Because before it was done with film, and film 
required, you know, even safety film, you had to be careful about how you stored it. You had to be careful about the equipment itself. It was very, you know, it was it was a process. Yeah. With video, you know, it was housed in these durable cassettes. You didn't storing it wasn't a big deal. You could even, You didn't have to set up a projector to watch yeah, it. Exactly. You didn't yeah. even viewing it was easier. It was just easier, it was cheaper, and you could erase the tapes. Right. So literally or tape just over them. Yeah. shoot everything and if you don't like it, erase it. Yeah. So it just I think it works because of the timeliness of it because yeah. it takes place in 83 or even if it took place in 89 people were still, you know, fascinated yeah. with this shit. So you just you literally filmed anything. Yeah, exactly. Nowadays I watch a found footage movie and I'm like, I don't give a shit if you're making a documentary, <laughs> put the fucking camera down. Yeah. But this guy it's like, yeah, no, yeah, of course he's going to film, he's gonna film everything. everything. And yeah, it became a way for him to do some interesting things. You know, the, the, the trope, trope-wise, characters arguing, improv, the justification for filming, um, and a lot of other things. He started out with a 20-page breakdown of scenes, basically just had a blueprint with three items having to, have each, uh, having to happen in each scene. Gave that to his actors, and then it went on from there. He would have a headset on that he would cue from. Like, if he needed someone to come in from outside, you know, he'd have an AD outside with a, he- with a walkie. And he, from his headset, he'd be like, okay, send so-and-so in oh, nice. away from the camera, you know, and yeah. then they'd come in. He could control the intensities of the performances. This is really interesting to me. He controlled the intensities of the performances he was getting from the other actors by becoming more intense himself, which oh, is just, wow. I mean, it, it's such a simple acting thing, yeah. but to be doing that as a director while filming and a performer in the scene, yeah. it's, it's very interesting. Do we ever see him on camera? I don't think you do. Yeah. I don't think you do because he doesn't do the thing... That a lot of found footage movies start out with, which is like where they're the, looking the guy into in the, the mirror, lens, or they're scrubbing yeah. the lens, or yeah, or they're shooting in the mirror. Yeah, there's none of that. Uh, so I don't think you ever see him. I don't recall ever seeing. Yeah, him. I don't think you do. Yeah. I don't remember seeing him. So yeah, he's he's got this thing he made for sixty five hundred dollars. Now he had uh, he had uh, these ten and twelve year old girls playing the aliens. Uh, oh, I can't really? remember what he said his budget for the uh, spaceship was. But, I mean, it was cheap. <laughs> yeah. It was cheap. And you can tell. Even watching the movie, you're yeah. like, you're sure that's a spaceship? Even, even in the dark. Yeah. yeah. Until the, the aliens dark. walk up. You're like, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, okay. No, I thought it was just, I don't know what. <laughs> you a metal cabin? So he has this thing. He's trying to get, he tried to get distribution for it. He went to L.A. Apparently, he's got a story about uh, somebody in L.A. throwing keys at him <laughs> and saying, like, get the fuck out of here with this home movie, you know? <laughs> Uh, so I mean the fountain. I can see that. Yeah, the, immediately the I'm we're too good for this new thing attitude sure. is already there. Especially considering it it it's a hoax movie. Yeah, you know, and you you'd think they would have at least latched onto that and been like, oh, we can market this like it like yeah. they could have just done what Blair Witch eventually did. Yeah, and just market it like, hey, look what we found. Yeah, right. They could. Yeah. they could have just done that so easily, and it's. To break down the story, this guy is filming his niece's fifth birthday party. Right. And his mom's there, and brother's there, and the whole family's there. And he's got his camera, and everyone's yelling about the camera. And then the power goes out. They go outside to check on the power. Uh, They see a UFO. They see aliens. They run from the aliens. At some point... The aliens see them. The aliens see them. There's a lot of screaming in the house. At one point, somebody gets a gun, shoots an alien... Brings the body back in. <laughs> of course, as one does. And then they just put it in a back room and are like, whatever. Yeah. And then the alien gets free <laughs> yes. from the back room. And then it's it, loose in the yeah. house. <laughs> the, the, the mom in this movie is, great. is 
fucking amazing, she's dude. She's so great. Yeah. She's so great. There's that part where the you know when the power goes out and she's like, she does such a classic mom move where she's like, well, how much power does that camera use? Like, <laughs> yeah. like the ca- like it's like yeah. Even in '89, parents didn't understand new technology. Right. I love these towards the end where she's like, you put that goddamn camera down or I'll wrap it around your head. Yeah, she's the mom is the mom. The mother in this film is is a gem. Yeah, she's great. She's delight. She's a real Uno O'Connor. So they they end up getting distribution for the movie. This starts to be where the story kind of gets muddy because what happens is, according to Dean Alioto, the distributor picked the film up. He sent over you know his art for the promotion. They were getting ready to do a video release. The distribution's warehouse that had the master, all of the promo art, all of those materials, burns to the ground. Jesus. Destroys the master, destroys all this stuff. <laughs> and that's it. Dean Aliotto's just like, well, that's that. Yeah. That's the end of that. So well, the version of this movie we have now is a copy of the original. Yeah. Just so even more adding to it's, yeah, it's the, what videos it's like were like. Second or third or fourth generation <laughs> yeah. dub, which makes it even, you know, even more, more realistic. Yeah. yeah. There are a few different stories. What I, what he says happened, what he thinks happened is... Now, video stores, distributors used to send out screener copies of movies to the video stores for the video store owners to review, to see, okay, do I want to buy this tape? How many tapes do I want? Is this marketable? Like, advanced screeners. Right. And apparently, according to him, some of these screeners had already gone out. So oh, there wow. already were versions, there already were tapes made that had gone out to these video stores. What he imagines happened, but I, no one knows who did this <laughs> or how it came to be. But apparently, allegedly, some video store employees somewhere took the tape, copied it, took the opening credits and end credits off of it, like just didn't d- dub those parts when right. they did the old two VCR dub, and started circulating it as actual footage <laughs> of a UFO abduction. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and, and it's it's fascinating because tape trading was a thing in the late right. 80s, early 90s. There were underground video tape trading communities and circles that, uh, you know, it was mostly like art or, you know, the Bud Dwyer tape or, you know, <laughs> or Bud that, that Karen Carpenter yes. movie with the Barbie dolls. You know, things like yeah. that were, were what were circulated in these. And then this footage of a UFO abduction. He didn't know about this. Dean Aliotto, the director of the film, did not have any idea that this had happened until, in like five years later, a rep for Hard Copy, Unsolved Mysteries, and Encounters called him up (laughs) and was like, do you know anything about this movie? Because it's going around, people think it's real. Apparently at a UFO, in 1993, at a UFO International Convention or the UFO Congress or something, where the UFOologists and conspiracy theorists all come out, a retired lieutenant colonel presented the footage and vouched for it as absolutely authentic. (laughs) That breaks my heart. Yeah, right. (laughs) Because every conspiracy theory, I'm like, come on, would this military guy lie? (laughs) Yeah, he sure would. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Or he more likely just doesn't know. (laughs) Yeah. So he he told them, yeah, he he told this rep, yeah, this is a movie I made. I thought it was gone forever, whatever. And uh, Unsolved Mysteries, when they heard it was a hoax, I guess, dropped out. But then Encounters picked it up, and he did a segment for Encounters. Uh Uh-huh. Later on, he was working for uh, Stephen J. Canal, the famous TV producer right. mogul. And I guess someone asked him to see to see it, showed it to him and said, I know we, somewhere we can take this. Took the Encounters clip to Dick Clark Productions, and Dick Clark Productions gave them $1.5 million to make it in Canada. Oh, wow. So he did a remake of it. Originally, it was supposed to be for Showtime, but then it went to UPN. So they went up to Canada, 
I guess Vancouver probably, maybe Toronto. I yeah. imagine more probably Vancouver. I don't know. Yeah, Vancouver is where the industry is. And it takes place in Minnesota. Like the remake takes place oh, really? in Minnesota. So Yeah, I still I haven't seen the remake. So it's also sort of like the accents aren't too far off, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean they are Canadian as fuck when you watch it. Like they're like, Oh, sorry. And <laughs> go back to the host. It's it's great. So it went to UPN, but while they were up there filming also, by the way, it has Emmanuel um Shiriki. Oh wow! From Entourage, is I was it? thinking you were going to go Lewis. No, <laughs> which would have been amazing. That would have been crazy. Yeah, um, but that's also cool. Yeah, it's her first film. So while they were up there filming it, and they had you know a much bigger budget this time to make the effects and to do everything, and it's interesting. It's it's got some cool things going on. Yeah, uh, it's basically a very faithful remake of the original, but with a little bit more production value couple twists here and there some added sensationalism that's very 90s i mean bleeped cuss words left and right oh yeah um emmanuel shiriki's naked uh well she's not sure. naked she's wearing pasties but they like put pixels over her <laughs> perfect um there's a cattle mutilation so very 90s very uh, much <laughs> and a lot of issues a lot of talk about issues in it mom's an alcoholic brother's probably racist it's very 90s yeah so very it's, angsty yeah, it sounds yeah like. very angsty <laughs> But also very good. Like it, this is 1998 now, and it looks a little too good, maybe to be. I prefer UFO abduction to the remake. Yeah, but the remake is good. It's solid as far as found footage horror goes. Keep in mind, this is still before Blair Witch Project, right? Right. And I think it may have aired before Last Broadcast was released. So it's still it's still a still prototype. First. Yeah. yeah, it's still first, and it it really works. Uh, all things considered. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't work as well as the original. But so yeah, while they're shooting this in, in Canada, UPN has a regime change. Like Uh-oh. they fire everybody. <laughs> so they get back with this movie and this contract and they're like, all right, this here's we made the movie you guys gave us all this money for that, that Dick Clark gave us all this money for that you bought from them that you were excited about. And new guy at UPN's like, uh, nah, not so much. We don't really like uh. this. We don't want this anymore. So they had to dump it. So what did they do? They didn't really promote it, and they just instead put it on a Sunday night, January 18th, 1998. It ran after a show called Real Vampires Exposed, with an exclamation point. Come on, how That's 90s is 90s that? That's 90s as yeah. fuck. Real Vampires Was there more than one exposed. X? Exposed. <laughs> God, I wish. Or no E at the beginning. <laughs> Real vampires, too hot for UPN. And also January 18th, they would have been running up against some playoff football there probably, yeah. too. Yeah, so... It's, Bad time. They just dump it. They yeah. just put it on. And it's after this show, Real Vampires, which is one of those shows that treats vampires like they're real. Like, it's they have experts on. You know, it's one of those, yeah. like, well, I don't know, was this guy a vampire? You tell me. <laughs> you know, like, they're, they're treating vampires like they might be real. So then immediately after that is this show called Alien Abduction Incident in Lake County <laughs> that does not have a disclaimer about being fake at the beginning. Nice. It starts off with one of those scrolls of, these people went missing. Do yeah. you have any information? Is it real? You yeah, they give you a yourself. fucking number to call at the end. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they give you a number to call at the end. So people who are watching this Real Vampire show or even just tuning in, you know, I mean, maybe the football game's at halftime or whatever, so they tune in and they miss whatever the beginning is, and they just see yeah. something they've never seen before, which is a found footage horror movie on fucking TV <laughs> with curse words bleeped out, nudity pixelated. Nudity. So it's like, well, this is real. Yeah. Because they bleeped out the curse words. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. 
I mean, that wasn't a staple of scripted television yet. No, you know? for sure. So it was that added to the confusion because UPN just didn't give a shit about it. And so they didn't bother promoting it. So nobody knew what it was. So this thing is just on there. Everyone thinks it's real. And then, you know, a legend is born. Right. <laughs> People start calling in. At the end of the remake, they show f- still photos of everybody. And uh-huh. it's like if you have the information about the whereabouts of these people, contact the producers, and then there's a number. Right. And then it ends with a still photo of the little girl. That's what you see on America's Most Wanted. Right. That's exactly. what you see on the evening news when someone goes missing. Like, it's the school photo of this little girl. So it all of this stuff, and of course then there's credits, like directed by and alien played by. But be, if you didn't see that, right? of course you're going to watch this thing and be like, holy shit, did they just show me actual UFO abduction? <laughs> And then this only adds more to the weird confusion about this. Now, the first film was supposedly released. I found a couple uh, notes that it was released by Axiom Productions. Yeah. The only Axiom that I can find online was founded in 97. And they produced uh, (laughs) Half Nelson and all these others. I can't find this other Axiom company. So I don't know if they originally had the rights to UFO and they're the ones that burned down. Dean Aliotto's theory, by the way, is that the warehouse fire was arson for insurance money. Perfect. Uh, that's what he thinks. I don't I don't know if there's anything <laughs> that can be substantiated by He's that. He's probably right. He's probably right. Yeah. yeah. But this remake now then draws attention to the earlier film, which I think is why it started being referred to as the McPherson tape. Yeah, that makes sense. Because now this just com- compounds those conspiracy theories more. Now there are people who think... That this remake is a government cover-up. There are people who believe that Dean Aliotto is a government agent. (laughs) I love this so much. Go on. Hired to claim that he made the first movie and then direct this second movie to confuse everybody, to throw everybody off, to discredit the original tape. Because that lieutenant colonel vouched for it. That's amazing. It, it is. It's amazing. And the, the, what's really fascinating to me about all this is that because it's difficult to find any actual information about the distribution, about the release, about how the tape made its rounds, where there are copies, the companies involved, it's all very <laughs> vague. So it's like, <laughs> what if... <laughs> That's so great. What if this is true? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) This is my favorite movie now. Dean Aliotto, apparently, he says he has, he owns the rights to the original UFO abduction. Apparently, he has, I guess he has a copy of it. And he's talking about wanting to do a Blu-ray release of alien abduction incident in Lake County with UFO abduction as like a bonus feature. Right. Which I would love. Oh, yeah. I want to get Shout Factory on this because he's under the impression through this podcast, again, found all credit to Found Footage Files podcast where, sure. I, where I listened to it to get this information because I was racking. I couldn't find any info about it. On right. That. Apparently, he thinks that Dick Clark Productions still has the rights, the, the home video distribution rights, which he believes means Shout Factory has those rights. If we can get a Scream Factory Blu-ray release... Yeah. Of alien abduction incident in Lake County, I would be magical. Yeah, that would be pretty great. That would be amazing. I don't... Especially if it had the actual alien abduction footage <laughs> on it, too, like the, you mentioned. The, re- the real footage that the, <laughs> that the first movie was based on. Right. I mean, again, the film isn't great. Yeah, it moves slow. It moves a little slow, but again, that's that... Italian neorealism quotidian thing that like this is the banality of life and we have to show that or people don't think this is real, you know? Exactly. 
There's a lot a lot of moments where it's just dark. Yeah. My favorite is at the end they sit down to play Go Fish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is in the remake, by the way. They kept that beat. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, they kept them sitting down to play Go Fish. <laughs> you know, the, the effects aren't... There's not a lot of effects. There's implied effects. There's the woman's, you know, screaming about their inner head. Which yeah. I really liked. That was creepy. Yeah. I thought that worked. They keep telling her to open the door. Uh, it ends with the si- the camera left on its side. Yeah. And then the reveal, which is I think works. It's creepy to me. It works better in the original than in the remake. In the remake, they make the aliens wave, and it's weird. Um, yeah, that's strange. The other thing is the remake is interspersed with these interviews. Oh. There's a sheriff interview in it. There's an interview with an anthropologist. There's an interview with a musician. And then there's an interview with a horror filmmaker named Damien Hawkins, who's actually played by Dean Aliotto, the director. Oh, wow. Saying, uh, yeah, this is absolutely not fake. <laughs> if, if this was a hoax, I would have been the one to do it, you know, which is a nice little winky, yeah. self-referential thing. But it's, I, I think it's worth seeing. I think it's worth discovering. I think it's worth... Because it's hard to define its place in the genre, in the canon, because it didn't get a... Yeah. It's one of those things where... It's one of those what-if moments where you wonder, like, right. if that warehouse didn't burn down, you know? Yeah. If someone else had bought the rights, maybe, and released it. If someone else had, if that guy that threw his keys at him had maybe said, well, I don't know, this is interesting and new and nobody's done it before. Let me see, you know? Yeah. And it's worth watching just because the first version of something is always, even if it's not the best, Mm -hmm. it's always interesting. Yeah. Like any musician has some, like, not great band that he was in prior. Yeah. But then you go back and listen to the tapes, and it's like, yeah, I'm glad I listened to that once. Yeah. (laughs) But... It's it's worth it. It's worth watching for that, if for nothing else, just because of su- it was such an original idea mm-hmm. at the time. Well, and it's amazing how like the found footage subgenre has evolved a lot now. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of different takes on it. There's a lot of different kind of themes going on, and for and even like uh, technical uh, adjustments. But a lot of it of what we know as found footage film was established by this movie. Right. Not just the idea of shooting with a camera, but all of those, you know, those tropes and those uh, those devices yeah. that we discussed. I mean, right down to this, the manipulation at the end, the footage starts to get weird right. and, the, and, the, and the tracking is all fucked up. Yeah. And it gets staticky and then it shuts off as a, which is a thing that's been used. They used it in paranormal activity. Yeah. They use it in <clears throat> that's, yeah, that's a real, almost a, a standard thing now for, implying hey there's a presence in yeah, the room now it's to cue shit's getting weird it's to cue the presence or just the po- and power going the, out too of the of the monster and it's it's interesting because it's a thing you can only do in found footage you can't right the way the that, that Aliotto, Dean Aliotto described why he did that it was his version of the jaws theme it's oh when you nice watch jo- that John Wayne that da, 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 like you, you hear that you know yeah. the shark is around and he's like well i can't have a score Sure. Because it's, you know, nobody scores home movies. <laughs> yeah. So what can I do to sort of imply that this thing is coming? And that's what he did. And it's, that's great. It's so simple, but it's also fucking genius. Because yeah, it's it really Because utilizing is. that format in a way that's so unique that you literally can't do in any other kind of uh, any yeah. other format or any kind of storytelling. It's um, using the flaws of that format. Yeah, to your advantage. Yeah, exactly. To su- to suggest, to yeah. to create a tone. To it's like to, a guitar player narrative. using feedback. Yeah, during yeah, a guitar yeah. Solo. It's like the it's like the chunk in Radiohead's Creep. It's yeah, the, <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I was gonna. I think we've talked a lot. I would like to 
since we we did talk about hoaxes and we did talk about this film specifically this film's place in hoaxes we're going to talk about other films next time that also have their own hoax thing going on but i mean cannibal holocaust supposedly people believed was real this people believed was real yeah Uh, between ufo abduction and i think this is an important thing to point out because i don't think that the remake maybe the remake might not have happened had it not been for this between ufo the you know the release and discovery of ufo abduction and the remake alien abduction incident in lake county we have a thing called alien autopsy yes which was released, was aired on Fox in on August 28th, 1995, under the title Alien Autopsy, Fact or Fiction. I mean... It, I remember this. It's interesting because UFO abduction, I, I say it's interesting because a lot. That's one of my <laughs> ticks I've noticed. I got to work on that. Mine is Here's the Thing. Oh, God. I used, I used to be so bad about Here's the Thing. I still yeah. am, but I'm a little more conscious of it. Yeah. Here's the Thing's a real easy one to get lost in. Yeah, yeah, I try. I, I need to be more conscious of it. Let's help each other out. We will. <laughs> it's going to be a journey. This podcast. What if we, when making Alien Abduction, uh, Dean Aliotto, I, according to him, would fine a can one of the Canadian actors anytime they said house or a boat <laughs> with an accent. Maybe we should we should get a we a, should we should get a here's the thing or a it's interesting because, it's interesting because like a jar for that yeah. But here's the thing. It is interesting because <laughs> UFO abduction predates the whole X-Files right. thing. The whole Roswell. I mean, Roswell, obviously, 47, but it, it, this resurgence in the 90s for some reason of alien stuff and of people wanting alien stuff to be real. And you, you have the, the craziest example of it to me in Alien Autopsy. Yeah. Which I think, I don't know how much things would be different if UFO abduction had been released and had gotten a release and had become sort of the first Blair Witch Project. Right. I would kind of like to visit that dimension to see what things are like. Yeah, it would be um, interesting. Even then, like we said a million times, it's so late. It feels like it took so long. Yeah, it took such a long time. To and then it takes such then, a long time for the, the next one. <laughs> exactly. But I do not think that alien autops, or sorry, that alien abduction incident in Lake County would have been greenlit or made without alien autopsy. In 1995. Yeah, I could see that. Which sparked the whole thing again, which is, it's literally found footage. That's the idea of it. According to Ray Santilli, the the London-based entrepreneur who owned the film, he presented it to Fox's authentic footage of the 1947 autopsy of one of the aliens that crashed in Roswell. Right. It's 17 minutes long. It's black and white. And according to this entrepreneur, it was supplied to him by an anonymous retired military cameraman. They aired this thing like it was real. I mean, of course, Fox positioned it like fact or fiction, which is basically the same as those real vampires exposed. It doesn't matter if it's real or not. You're showing me this thing. Yeah. And you said you have in the notes that he claimed it was based on actual footage. Yeah. So it was a recreation of actual (laughs) footage. So this guy is ridiculous. (laughs) In 2006, it came out that the footage was fake, that he admitted it was fake. He admitted that it was a staged film that he'd made. Right. But then he insisted that it was a staged recreation of the authentic footage that he found in 1992, but that original footage had deteriorated so bad that he couldn't sell it to anyone. So they recreated it, and this is really crazy. He insists (laughs) that it deteriorated so bad that only a few frames were salvageable. And that he incorporated those frames into the cut of the recreation, which if you know anything about how filmmaking works, 
is an insane thing to say. Right. Yeah, it is. Like, <laughs> what frames are these? You'd think you'd at least get like a little icon in the corner yeah, saying yeah, real yeah. frame is alert. This, is this a Tyler Durden thing? Is, this, <laughs> is there an alien dick just flashing? What is? What are you talking about, you <laughs> lunatic? Yeah, so what happened was, I mean, I would even argue that alien autopsy counts as found footage horror. Yeah, uh, to some extent. Because it's totally fucking fake right uh, and he said he found it like it's just it just takes it to a sort of a commedia del arte f- level of, yeah of, of of the conceit the set was constructed in a living room in a flat in rochester square london john humphreys who is a sculptor and artist made two dummy alien bodies in three weeks they went to a wholesale meat market <laughs> to get sheep brains Chicken entrails and knuckle joints. Yes. And mixed it with raspberry jam and then put it in the dummies for the gore effects. Oh. Uh, this is a fucking gore film. I mean, this is Faces of Death Aliens. <laughs> yeah, you know? pretty much. Uh, I don't know if this would exist without Mondo films. And then and then the guy that made this is, again, this is found footage 101 right here. The guy that made the effects played the chief examiner so that he could control the right. effects, so that he could do the effect without it being noticed, you know? Yeah. Because uh, he knows how it works. It's, I love that. I love that, like, skeleton crew approach to stuff. Yeah, that's great. After filming, they, they this is how dedicated they were to the hoax. After filming, they cut the dummies up into <laughs> tiny pieces and put them in random trash bins around <laughs> London. And they also admitted that the cameraman that they interviewed to say that, I guess, this cameraman so many years later is so distraught by what he f- right. shot and gave to them. They admitted that he was just a, a homeless guy they found in L.A. <laughs> and took him to a motel and paid him to interview. Um, nice. So there you have, like, hoax, horror, fucking found footage. Like, all right. in one thing. And I think, you know, we don't talk about alien autopsy anymore. It never gets mentioned with the genre. And I just wanted to make sure... That it had a place in the discussion. Yeah, people should remember it. <clears throat> because I think it... Did you watch it, by the way, when it aired? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah, me yeah, too. I was, <laughs> I was so, so fucking stoked. excited. I was so stoked. I wanted to believe it was real. Yeah. I mean, that alien looks genuinely creepy. Oh, yeah. Lying there dead. Like, just looks so creepy. I, I do think that we owe Alien Autopsy at least a little bit of attention. Because, oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, according to, Again, according to Dean Aliotto, I keep saying that because... I got this all. There's no book written about this movie. Maybe we'll write it. Exactly. J.J. Abrams, one of J.J. Abrams' producers, uh, Brian Barnes, I guess, asked in like the 2000s at some point, asked Dean Aliotto for a copy of Alien Abduction, and he sent it to him, and then they made Cloverfield. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> so I don't know if this was like... <laughs> and he he doesn't accuse or anything. He just says, I don't know, they made Cloverfield, and it's kind of similar. Yeah, um, it is, especially the the shaky camera the shaky camera like work running with the camera the constant commentary yeah the fact that it starts at a party yeah the fact that characters yell at each other i mean again by then those are all staples of found footage so it doesn't right it's hard to parse out but i mean i do i would like to think that without alien abduction uh incidentally county we wouldn't have quite what we have now and that without alien autopsy we wouldn't have that and that these are both the natural sort of progression of technology and culture and the way we tell stories all kind of evolving in tandem, but never quite touching fully until 1989 in a film that no one will see. It's, it's just a, it's a fascinating piece of the, of the, of the, of the, of genre history to me. Yeah. And I want a Blu-ray of it. Yeah. I'm surprised that hasn't happened yet, but yeah, maybe this will be 
the podcast that this will be the one that does it. Start the movement. Hashtag UFO abduction at Chet's. <laughs> I would be all for that. <laughs> That'd be great. So yeah, that's that's the first episode. That's what we've got. I was gonna go further on, but I feel like we're good here. Yeah, I think this is a good stopping point. This is a good stopping point. Like what we've are, got alien abduction. Yeah, which takes us to 1998. Yeah, it takes us to to 98, and the 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 big one. Yeah, is, the big one is yeah. coming. Yeah, we probably won't talk too much about it. <laughs> <laughs> Because, again, it's like I, I want to cover the, the sort of the smaller gems, the things that maybe don't get... I mean, they, they probably don't have as influential a place in the history, but I feel like we can cover the history of these things and sort of touch on the big watershed right. things, but then also pay attention to, to some of the stuff that we didn't know about, you know? Like Apollo 18. Like Apollo 18. You're yeah. going to make me talk about that movie, aren't you? <laughs> the only, One thing I love about it is it's one of the last found footage movies I remember where the the people making it really stuck to the no, it's found footage. No, it's, oh, that's right. Actually, they really there's like a producer. There's an interview yeah. where he's like adamant that you it's know, real. You just can't do that. And anymore. It's like we it's, know they're actors. They, you can look them up on IMDb. It's, it's yeah. With the internet, I mean, Blair Witch <laughs> happened at that very specific time where the internet was just sophisticated enough to get the word out about something. Yeah, it but was not controlled enough to have all the facts yeah it was just sophisticated enough for people to fall for it yeah at that point exactly like people weren't using it to investigate shit no it was just (laughs) oh look what i found on the internet holy shit yeah yeah so yeah so yeah i think this this was a really good episode yeah very informative i learned a lot of things i want to go i want to watch the remake of this i didn't get a chance to watch it the remake is good it's it's again it's on youtube but it's one of those ones where it's in parts to avoid oh, being yeah. deleted. I want to see a good quality version of it because I want to know how much of it is obscured intentionally and how much of it is just like, well, fuck, it's YouTube. I can't see anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the cattle mutilation especially, I want to know like how <laughs> how in-depth they got with that. Uh, the remake is good. It's solid. It's In some ways, it's an improvement. In other ways, it just fails to capture that, that urgency and that weirdness of right. the original what did you watch this week? What well, I watched besides UFO abduction, <laughs> I watched before I wake. Oh, did you watch it? I haven't seen it yet. I here's the thing. I swear I saw that movie like a year ago. Really? Like watching it, I definitely remember a marketing campaign. There was for definitely it. a marketing campaign. They were it got pulled. Right, but I swear I saw it. Wow. I don't know how, but I swear I saw that movie. Hmm. Like I remembered like. It all felt very you remember, familiar. You remember Sinbad playing a genie. Exactly. And, and uh, <laughs> now I'm feeling like that. Like, is this that moment for me where I'm like, no, people, this movie came out. They're lying to you. <laughs> but did it, it got released internationally, right? I, I don't know. I remember, I remember being excited about it. And I remember getting up the day that it was supposed to be released and being like, all right, I'm going to go see Mike Flanagan's new movie today. And I checked showtimes online and it wasn't playing anywhere yet the release date was still that day on imdb and i was just like it's so weird the shit happened here and i knew that it, it had already been i think delayed once so it was just further being me being like what the fuck man like yeah this isn't the new amityville movie this is goddamn mike flanagan i want to see it yeah it's good yeah it's good okay good i watched that recently i i hadn't watched uh i had never seen grave encounters Oh, really? Yeah, so I watched oh, Grave Encounters nice. for the first time the I other really night. I really like Grave Encounters. Yeah, it's really good. I like I like that it, it takes on like the Zach Baggins 
ghost hunter type. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're going to get into that stuff. Yeah. We're going to get into that stuff. I heard you like to throw bricks at old women. <laughs> throw a brick at me, ghost. Just one time I want it to happen. Just a ghost throw a brick at <laughs> Yeah. Just bash his skull in with a, go- with a brick. Oh, man, that'd be awesome. That'd be fun to watch. That would be fun. I'd pay money to see anything, you know, just any any of these hucksters, any of these yeah, any of these clowns. That said, I would do, I would totally do that if someone was like, "Hey, do you want a TV show?" Absolutely. Oh God, are you kidding me? Going, in, a, yeah. in a fucking heartbeat, yeah, I would. Like, yeah. I hate them now, but I would do it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we would. We would do the good version. Yeah, we would do the one that's fun. Yeah, exactly. Uh, on that note, have you seen Another Evil yet? No. Another Evil kind of does the. A take on the ghost hunter thing, but without the show element of it. Oh wow! I mean, the, the show aspect is, is so steeped in found footage now, partly because of I mean, I would say reality TV's influence on found footage. That's another thing we didn't cover. Fuck! Now I want to go back. <laughs> well, yeah. I um, mean, there's a lot of we can talk. Yeah, the the evolution of found footage from this point. Yeah, pretty much every technology. That happens. Oh yeah. Well, we have throughout the two thousands. Yeah. becomes a found footage. We're gonna get into medium. We're gonna get. I mean, you thought I had some stuff for this one. The next one we've got. I'm gonna talk about you know prosumer TV filmmaking. We're gonna yeah. talk about indie media centers. We're gonna talk about YouTube. We're gonna talk about creepy pasta. We should talk about Skype. Uh, oh yeah, for sure. We'll talk yeah. about Skype. Um, I mean, it's just yeah. It's in again. Now that the you'll see. In the next episode, now that these things are linked, I mean, they, they move forward together yeah. just at the same pace. It's crazy. But another, sorry, another evil takes the ghost hunter personality type thing, you know, the, the libertarian with the hiking hat. What are those called? They're not fedoras, but, you know, the wide-brimmed. Yeah. With that guy, you know, I don't want to cast aspersions, but that probably guy. an InfoWars fan, you know, yeah. Right. That guy takes that personality, removes it from the setting of this reality TV show. So you don't have any of that, um, the the flash and fakery of it. It's just like, oh no, this guy is earnestly this guy. Like right. just sincerely, this is who he is. Takes that and puts it into a regular person's life and, <laughs> and just watches what happens. And it's it's kind of a comedy. It's a very dark comedy in a lot of ways. What happens is the, the uh, one of the leads from Together is uh, or Togetherness, the the Duplass Brothers show, yeah, on HBO. The guy that plays the actor friend, I can't remember his name right now. Yeah, is this a Netflix? It's on Shutter now. On Shutter. Uh, I watched it on Amazon when it was rentable, like a year or so ago. Yeah. It um, sounds familiar, but I, yeah, you might I have seen a I've trailer seen for it. But it's his house is haunted. He calls in this ghost hunter, and things get fucking weird. Nice. Um, it's it's great. It's it's got a. It's just great. Another evil is that's what I would recommend right now if you like the to see the ghost hunter thing, but without the the TV show component of it. Yeah, it's very interesting. But yeah, I love Grave Encounters. Uh, I like Grave Encounters two a lot. Oh, I didn't even know there's not a nearly as much as the first one, but they're good. There's a lot of good. This is the thing. There's a lot of good found footage There's a movies. A lot of good found footage horror, and and it's and the, as it evolves, people are finding new things to do with it. Yeah, and people, you know, will obviously say, "Oh, well, there's a lot of bad found footage." Well, yeah. there's just there's a, lot a lot of bad of, movies. There's a lot of bad everything. Yeah, you know, have it's you just, been outside? Yeah, there's a lot so, of bad oxygen molecules. Every yeah, everything's bad right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just yeah. appreciate when you find the good. Yeah, you jerks. I just want to show you the good. That's all. You jerks! <laughs> Look what you okay. <laughs> Should we wrap it up? Yeah, you think? Yeah, what? probably. Yeah. <laughs> this has been fun, though. I'm looking forward to the next episode. Yeah, let me. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk offline. Yeah, 
I'll get some notes. I don't I don't know when this is coming out, so I don't know what we have to plug. We don't have anything to plug. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Todd Brown. Follow me on Twitter at, at Andy underscore cell. That's Todd with one D for me. If you follow Adam Todd Brown with two Ds, I'll, hey. I'll be angry. Yeah? Yeah. Real yeah, angry? Pretty angry. Yeah. I'm going to be pretty upset. Why? I don't know. It's just, uh, is it time to say it? Oh, gosh. Yeah, we got to figure out. Yeah, okay. Let's, I mean, I don't want to do a countdown to it, though. No, we just. Class deceased. <laughs>